Welcome to Ideas on Trap. In the light of the ongoing global pandemic, we will be hosting a series of short conversations around that theme. I hope you and your families are staying safe. Please follow all the recommended guidelines by the public health expert organizations that are responding to the crisis. Do not spread panic and only share information from credible and verified sources. Thank you. This is Ideas on Trapped Coronavirus Quickcast with Adida Obakari. Adida, welcome. Thank you, Toby. You had a piece today talking about what needs to be done responding to the global pandemic that is now fully with us here in Africa. Can you give us a brief summary of your article? Okay. Uh, so, what my co-author and I tried to do was just to look at um, mostly the economic impact of coronavirus on the Nigerian economy. And as much as possible, we try to look at what government needs to do. So it's not just about the impact on the economy, but on what government needs to do. So on the impact, we have the, um, I mean, original channels of, you know, transmission to Nigeria, <clears throat> and that is trade and investment. Um, for trade, Nigeria is mainly, our trade is, um, for exports, we do mostly oil, about, I think, ni- over 90% of exports out- outside um, Nigeria is oil and gas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we have um, a bit of agric exports, but that is still weak. I think total agric exports in Nigeria is under a billion dollars even in 2019 although it's been growing very very fast for the for the past three years or so um also i think the major point for us is that most of the dollar flows we get in nigeria comes from the exports of oil and gas also for government revenues most of government revenues comes from you know the exports of oil and gas now the problem with our exports now is even without uh, um, the you know impact of the coronavirus, we have Russia and Saudi Arabia engaged in a in a price war where they've um, continued to pump a lot of oil into the markets, and the implication has been a reduction in oil prices. Also, when you think in terms of the fact that a lot of um, advanced economies and major emerging markets like China have implemented all sorts of social distancing measures where people have to stay at home and um, you know they won't engage in economic activity. That means really the demand or the use of oil will be lower. So for Nigeria, one of the immediate impacts is that um, exports is going to fall very sharply. And for the CBN, there'll be pressure on the reserves. For the government, there'll be lower revenues. I mean, in the, talking about the government now, is basically both the federal government and the state government. Um, for the imports, imports are important because um, I was looking at the pattern of trade in 2019, and basically what we continue to see is that industrial supplies, you know, importation of machinery um, and agric items and all those things are really the major things we import into Nigeria. Food is really not that even sizable when you think in terms of Nigerian imports. And of course, that is basically due to um, Nigeria's trade policy where we don't want 
you know, the importation of food. We would rather produce them domestically. So for us, um, the, another very, very big impact is if manufacturers cannot find inputs, you know, to continue to produce necessities, mostly seafood items that will be needed as people stay at home, then we'll have problems. Also, when you think in terms of um, the healthcare industry, what is really the importation need for that industry? When you're thinking in terms of medical equipment, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, medical supplies, too, um, we'll have a problem having to import those things. Um, the problem is not necessarily because there's no money or effects to conduct imports. It's mainly because a lot of countries, too, are having to close down um, borders. They are erecting all kinds of export restrictions. And one of the reasons we've seen is countries are panicking, basically. So um, they are finding ways to defend or to protect their own citizens. So rather than export medical supplies, you want to retain it within the domestic economy should, you know, an emergency arise and you need, um, you know, you need those supplies. Of course, the outcome for the global economy is not very, very good because what that means is people who have enough will show their borders and people who don't have at all or people who lack, I mean, countries rather, who lack um, the domestic capacity to produce those items will will suffer. Yeah, so moving on, the implication is that for the Nigerian economy, I mean, with the new cases we are seeing, we are starting to see, that means even the impact will be felt domestically. And basically, what is government going to do uh, for businesses who have to, um, you know, not get raw materials and wouldn't be able to produce in sectors where people would have to stay at home? So what does government need to do to support um, those sectors? Also, when you're thinking in terms of remittances, which is also a very big import into Nigeria, money sent from Nigerians abroad to Nigerians living in Nigeria, basically, is also likely to fall. Um, we've been getting around 20 to $25 billion annually, but given you know, all kinds of problems we're seeing in um, US and Europe, where you know, there are a lot of Nigerians who send money back home, we should see a bit of a moderation in terms of the remittances we get into the economy in 2020, at least in the first half of 2020. In the latter half, we still really don't know if we'll have to deal considerably with um, COVID-19. We just think government needs to be smarter currently. Number one, governments will be facing lower revenues. And if you are facing lower reven revenues, what that means is you probably don't have enough money to support the economy. Um, a lot of economies around the world are you know, drawing down on the savings um, they've been able to put together during, um, you know, periods of economic boom. In Nigeria, we have no savings. And that means for the government, they need to find a way to support not just businesses, but also households. Also, when you think in terms of the FG, the FG can still go and borrow. State governments do not have that luxury. So how do you support state governments who need to pay salaries? State governments who also need to support their various, you know, healthcare sectors. So um, as they face lower revenues, then you can have, you can start to expect that the economic hardship will be very, very strong. Um, unemployment will of course rise as you know more people stay at home, as a lot of businesses who are not earning enough or have a lot of cash will not be able to afford um, workers or put them on their payroll, even, I mean, because obviously they are not working and they are not making any money too. In advanced economies, we're starting to see all kinds of grants in the US and the UK being given to small businesses. In Nigeria, we're yet to see that, again, the government is broke. Um, so if you move further and you start to think about really um, what 
to expect to you expect that government to find a way to support state governments. Um, also, government should find a way to support the healthcare sector. Um, we've not been investing in healthcare. We've not been investing in education, and that is one of the things we have to pay for with this, you know, COVID-19 crisis we, we are currently facing. So it's not just even um, an economic crisis. It's also going to be um, a health crisis for Nigeria. So how do we scale up, um, you know, um, medical supplies? How do we provide more drugs? How do we mobilize health workers? How do we really support them to give their best in these turbulent times? It's something we have to think about. Um, also, when you move on and you think in terms of People who have been told to stay at home, once you're telling, oh, market women, stay at home, or cadre riders, stay at home, or, you know, people who are just in sectors where it is not necessities per se, entertainment, um, restaurant services, accommodation services, all those things, you would expect that also if they're staying at home, they have to eat, they have to earn income, they have to support their families. So how are they going to go about that? Um, that is left to the government to find a way to also, you know, intervene and support the households, as well as um, um, the government. Also, um, we think this is a critical juncture in which government can start to, you know, plan. They say never waste a crisis. And for the, for the federal government, um, this emergency we have, this health emergency we have, is an excuse for you to actually, you know, implement most of your reforms you've been trying to delay for some time. So the subsidy, remove it. Don't tell us it's... Um, price modulation and leave it for the next four years like we did in 2016. Make sure you fully remove subsidies. Also, the power sector reforms you have coming up, make sure you implement them. Don't postpone it. Try and find, of course, it's going to be very, very difficult to cope with all that now. But um, it's important that government, you know, really takes the chance to make all those reforms. And one of the things we thought of was in terms of the cost, government is not earning enough revenues. But they spend a lot, and most of this spending is on, you know, salaries and um, payroll-related costs, admin costs. Government should find a way to, you know, put a freeze on costs. If it's to freeze hiring, if it's to, I mean, just find a way to make sure that, um, you know, in times like this, you have to keep your costs very, very low, and also try as much as possible to engage citizens to gain their trust. Because in the end, post-COVID-19, you need to convince people to give money to you or to pay taxes and to do all these things. So for us, it was mainly looking at um, um, the, the immediate priorities for the government in terms of supporting businesses, supporting the healthcare sector, supporting um, state governments, um, also trying to um, be a bit more responsible in terms of its fiscal finances. And um, going forward, to it's a chance for government to finally embark on the reforms that are truly needed to move the economy forward. Okay, all right. So I, I think uh, a few days ago we were talking about how the economic hardship might play out. And I think we were talking about aggregate demand, aggregate supply, which yep. is kind of a way of looking at these things. And um, something you said was that in Nigeria, aggregate demand seemed to be what would dip faster than aggregate supply. And I think some, some anecdotal evidence is bearing that out, is that businesses are open, but you see that more and more people are less willing to buy because mm -hmm. primarily of income shocks, generally. And uh, I mean, thank God we are not 
panicking yet, but when the social distancing measures and lockdown come into effect, that is going to get really worse. So now my question mm. is, who, who do we prioritize in terms of economic assistance? Is it businesses or households? Ah, for it's, it's um, a hard one because even, I mean, in talking about that um, framework, aggregate demand, aggregate supply, um, both is you know, equally important. I think the major thing to note now is both is going to fall, right? Um, aggregate demand in terms of people, not, people and businesses not being able to spend enough will fall. Aggregate supply too will fall in terms of um, you know, people, I mean, businesses not being able to produce and some businesses basically shutting down operations and staying at home. So both will fall. And the implication of that is we might see a contraction in growth, um, you know, or maybe a recession, as they say. But in terms of prioritizing emergencies, I think um, it is important to for aggregate supply that we continue to support businesses in essential sectors. Essential means financial institutions, um, for instance, um, telecommunications institutions must obviously be open. Food, people selling food, um, we must ensure that we have that. Food processing as well, we must ensure we have that. Then healthcare sector, in terms of the output, we have to support those sectors. So for on the you know supply side, I think those are really the priorities for the government. Because even if you stay at home and you have a lot of money, and there's no food to buy, then it becomes a problem, right? Um, so it is crucially important, and it is even easier to support businesses as much as possible. Um, luckily for us, it's better to even target incentives at businesses than households. And businesses is a way to also target households in the sense that small businesses that are being supported um, you know, can have people on their payroll, which they continue to pay. I mean, from the income they generate, then they are able to, you know, buy whatever it is they are producing. Um, for aggregate demand, I think supporting the expenditure of people is a bit tough because you, start, you now start thinking about how do you administer um, even the intervention funds. In Nigeria, we still don't have a proper identity system. We don't know people who live um, in a certain place. We don't know the number of people living in a certain place. We don't know whether they're employed. We don't know whether they're even out of jobs currently. So um, that may be a bit of a very, very hard uh, um, task to, to achieve. But for me, I think um, both are vital. But in prioritizing, we can't afford to let businesses just go off, the, off, off, off grid like humans have done uh, by staying at home. By staying at home, you probably spend less. You consume, well, maybe you consume more in terms of food, but at least your overall spending um, should reduce because obviously transportation costs, all manner of you know restaurants, I mean hotels and spendings you would normally not do before buying clothes, buying you know repairing um, all such kinds of items. Now you are prioritizing and you are just staying at home and um, watching TV, um, working or eating food, as the case may be. But we have to ensure that at least that food is available for people to to eat. So for me, I think um, it's equally important to support both. Um, so for me, I think what I would just think is that businesses should be prioritized. Um, governments, state governments particularly should be prioritized. And I'm not saying they should prioritize state governments because of their workers. 
I mean, public sector workers are a very small share of total labor force in Nigeria. But because states need to be empowered to actually support um, healthcare in you know their respective jurisdictions, they need to be able to take decisions. They need to be able to also um, you know maybe revamp facilities, support um, healthcare workers, import medical supplies, and um, all these things they might need. But obviously, if government can still find a way to support, you know, um, households, I, I, I think it's fine. But for now, I think priority should be on businesses that provide essential services. Then beyond essential services, I mean, if you have um, some funds with you, then you can support households. Now, what, what do you think will be the, in economic terms, what do you think will be the enduring lessons from a crisis of this nature? Because, okay, now we are having a bit of a double whammy with the oil price uh, collapse. Are we really going to learn? <sighs> this is Nigeria, as they say. But really, um, when we look at, you know, the decisions we've made in the past, nothing really inspires confidence, um, especially in the current leadership. Um, in terms of even the reforms I was talking about earlier, we had um, a crisis just four years ago, 2015 um, and 2016, and the re response to that crisis was terrible, and we had a very painful re recession, and, um, you know, recovery has even been very, very slow. So it's like we are starting to recover from um, a problem we have in 2016, and um, we are dealt another blow by COVID-19 and whatever is going on in the oil market. Um, for government, I think they have no choice. They have to find a way to respond to the crisis. Now, in thinking about it, they have two options. They either focus on immediate priorities or they focus on you know priorities that would even outlast this crisis. For me, I think I they would lean towards more of the immediate priorities in terms of trying to really make sure that as much as possible the economy doesn't collapse absolutely as much as possible. People can still access some form of medical care at least if they come under or if they get infected. So um, they should ramp up healthcare facilities, they should ramp up the sourcing of medical supplies and spending on that, and they should also ramp up support for the you know, healthcare sector. So I think that's the immediate priority, and I think as, um, you know, even when you notice that this is not even a problem that is affecting the segment of the population, it can affect every single person, including people in the leadership, um, I think there will be a bit more urgency to, like, take the required steps to really make sure that we protect people and the economy at least. But if we're looking towards the longer term policies that um, you and I would always advocate for all the time, like governments um, trying to reduce their spending, you know, being more transparent about their spending and their budgets, about, you know, tasking the private sector, delegating responsibilities to the private sector in terms of, you know, funding infrastructure where the government has no resources to do. And I think in terms of opening up more sectors, say the power sector, to more private um, participation, say transportation sectors, um, including aviation and seaports and all those you know, opportunities you can use to just invite the private sector to invest in the economy. I'm not so confident that um, they are going to take 
many of those decisions now. Everybody is just waiting to, you know, another phase. This too shall pass, as we say. So I think the priority is on what is immediate and urgent. The reforms that would birth long-term growth or long-term sustainable fiscal policy or long-term sustainable monetary policy or long-term development, I think we're going to just um, postpone those. So, yeah, we are more likely to, to kick the can down the road. So now, in terms of emergency responses and what we need and all that, what would be the legacy of the import substitution industrialization that the government through the CBN has been doing in the past three and a half years, so to speak? I mean, now we have a crisis, but I don't think we have any local capacity to produce what we need. We might still have to rely on exports on imports, sorry. So what, what, what do, is that really something that should at least encourage the people in power to change their strategy or change their outlook? <laughs> I hope so, because right now, more global cooperation is needed, especially in countries like um, Nigeria, where we don't have that much manufacturing capacity or even the education at least support the economy in these very trying times. For government, I think um, it depends um, because with what we've seen all around the world, there are all sorts of restrictions everywhere. Even in Europe, you have Germany, which is supposed to be a leader in Europe, um, stopping or blocking supplies that were meant to go to Austria and Switzerland. Um, then you start thinking, how does that make sense? You have France also blocking some shipment to the NHS in, in the UK. And you also ask yourself, how does that make sense? I mean, um, we've all been trying to promote global trade and global cooperation. So why is everybody withdrawing back from this sort of policy ideas that really help the world? So I think for the Nigerian government, there are two ways to look at, at it. Some, I think, Oh, imagine if we had relied on the global economy for food imports, and now everybody is raising export barriers, right? What would Nigerians eat when we can't import from Ghana, or we can't import from Europe, or we can't import from China? So in that sense, one would start to think that, yeah, producing locally might make sense, because when you have um, this sort of shock um, externally, then you have a bit of reprieve locally, because your manufacturing sector or your food sector can pick up the slack. So um, there are two ways to go about it, and I feel like the government will prioritize more import substitution policies. Because I was, uh, um, I've been, you know, trying to get people's opinion and ideas about this, and many people were saying, "Oh, thank God we stopped importing rice, for instance. Oh, thank God we stopped importing this." Of course, um, you might argue that um, there are so many things we don't, you know, produce locally that we still have to import which means government has really has no choice but to ensure that they cooperate um, more with other countries, they open the borders and get you know, the shipments we need, the raw materials manufacturers need, the medical supplies we need to even support our economy in this time. Like, we have to import it. it. But I know if given that choice... It's, what still, do we, it's still funny to me. It's still funny to me that people think we stopped importing rice. <laughs> A lot I mean, of people actually believe it. 
<laughs> it's mean, actually quite funny, but somehow we, we still we still mostly consume imported rice, but exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which was why I was just surprised. And that's why I think they would want to focus on that. Okay. Okay. Lastly, before I let you go, you and I have been having this uh, back and forth over services versus uh, manufacturing. So I use certain now that I am winning the argument. I mean, in the light <laughs> of, <laughs> in the light of, I mean, I mean, the countries that have been able to respond to these things in terms yeah. of testing and. Uh, capacity to really, really mobilize their health sector, have a strong manufacturing base. So I think that that bolsters my view. I mean, Germany, South Korea, Japan, China, Taiwan. And yes, you have have U.S. where they are even struggling to get face masks and test kits and, you know, FDA approvals are coming and not forthcoming, you know. So you agree that I'm winning that argument. <laughs> I think of course the argument has always been in your favor, obviously. Because I mean thinking about it, even industrialized economies are having problems. And um having to, you know, meet or get all the supplies they need. It's, it's been very, very challenging, even for the so-called um, um, Germany. If Germany is not desperate, they wouldn't have stopped shipments to um, Switzerland or is it Austria. So obviously, having a manufacturing sector gives you, um, you know, the ability to respond to all kinds of issues. But I think one thing that is being left out of this discussion is also having a knowledge economy. Because yeah. in the end, if you are not investing in education, healthcare, which are service industries, how do you have the knowledge to be able to say, oh, we have to, we can, you know, test these uh, um, drugs or invent this mag- uh, um, vaccine or, um, or, I mean, the knowledge that goes into, that you give to manufacturers who eventually produce these things. We don't have it in Nigeria. So there's no knowledge. There's no manufacturing capacity. So it's like um, a double whammy, so to say, again, for us. Of course, um, I think both is something we have to work on. We need to educate our people. We need to prioritize healthcare. We need to fund universities and research institutes and have good people in those places. Um, Overall, I think, yes, in times like this, you need uh, your manufacturing sector to respond. I was reading about, you know, having to... um, even in non-healthcare manufacturing, you have a lot of manufacturers finding ways to produce some of these you know, medical supplies. And it's that kind of flexibility you want. So, of course, I agree with you. We, we need uh, more manufacturing capacity. Um, but I think, um, again, the road to that is very, very tough. Yeah. So I, I, it could I, I, be a simple case of, imagine if we had the knowledge, Toby, and, you know, we have educated people. Our lecturers are not sitting down at home like us without doing anything. Because I'm <laughs> here to see researchers in Nigeria coming out to say, this is how to, like, respond. This is, or testing things, or, you know, informing the general public. Or yeah. people with laboratories trying to do things. We are not seeing any of that. But I feel no. like it's a case of, say, oh, Morocco has very good manufacturing sector. SA has a very good manufacturing sector. 
um, Ethiopia has a very a better manufacturing sector, so to say. How do we use the knowledge that we have from you know our ed education and healthcare institutions to collaborate with those countries and get you know the, some of the medical supplies we need? And um, we are not able to do that as well. So I think I, I agree with you that we need to continue to invest um, in these priority sectors and also on manufacturing. I'm actually very, very happy that we have this problem. Because, Why? you know, it, it would seem as if when we say invest in people, invest in people, it's, you sound like a broken clock or something. Like mm -hmm. people are always saying invest in people, invest in people. It's maybe hard for people to understand why you would continue to, you know, hammer that. Uh, um, Bill Gates came, in, came to Nigeria, right, and mentioned yeah. it. Focus more on less on physical infrastructure. See how you build your people. Um, a lot of analysts and economists talk about it all the time. But it seems government really doesn't understand. And their focus is entirely on building um, the maybe first generation real technology where the world has, you know, advanced beyond and building um, terrible bridges, unneeded overhead bridges and all those things. So maybe this would force government at least to think of reforms that we need in healthcare and um, in education. I think knowledge is even more important today than having um, physical manufacturing assets. Okay, so I have a bit of a counter on that. Okay. And which is and I think I, I was also discussing this with a, a mutual friend of ours, you and I, very recently. Knowledge-based human capital have a bit of a delayed return. Okay, so for example, if you invest in, say, an additional year of schooling for yeah. people with no access to education now, say, primary schooling. So you're looking at the return horizon of 30, 35 years from now. Mm -hmm. I don't think that really solves our problem now. But if we can get industries to transfer skill and knowledge in the immediate, I think we can see the effect, the positive effect of that immediately. Even though that does not stop us from investing in the future, but I, it's one of the things, okay, like, Paul Roma had this thought experiment, you know, that, okay, say you're, you're trying to hire two people. So, and you're interviewing these two people and one of them had an additional year of schooling and the yeah. other spent a year at Toyota, for example. Mm -hmm. who, would, who would you hire? The guy at Toyota, no, obviously. Uh, so, so, exactly. So, I mean, if we have an export-oriented industrialization policy where we can get big manufacturing firms here that can transfer knowledge and skill via firm-to-firm -firm relationships. I think that that will work for us a lot faster without negating the investments that we need to make over the long time horizon in, in terms of education, you know. I mean, when China started industrializing, the, it wasn't mutually exclusive. I mean, they now have some of the best universities in the world, and they still manage to industrialize and employ millions of people from 1978 to about year 2000. 
So I, I think we should try to just find the, the, the right balance. I agree. I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, we can import the knowledge and transfer the knowledge um, easier to, to support schools transfer locally. So um, I totally am sold on that idea. I think it's um, something that would work. Um, of course, with, if you have the right leadership to think about it and implement it. All right. So before I let you go, what, what are the implications for two of your favorite sectors? That is tech and education. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, sorry, tech and entertainment. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I know remote work is big now, but I'm not seeing yeah. any Nigerian firm stepping up to the plate. So mm -hmm. um, everybody is using Zoom. Zoom is not a Nigerian firm. Of course. <laughs> uh, and of course, we learned uh, a few hours ago that the African Magic Award yeah. had some exposed yeah. people. What are the implications for these two sectors that you follow and love so very much? Okay, I think um, um, what happened, <laughs> the decision, despite all that was going on with the world, to continue with that award show was highly responsible by the organizers. And basically, they put everybody at risk. Also, it shows a lot about the lack of personal responsibility in Nigeria. I don't know if it's due to poor education. My, I know better not to know it's due to poor education. Uh, maybe it's due to the lack of responsibility generally in our culture. Because I don't think, um, you know, a right-thinking person who had gone to countries with very high infection, which just come into Nigeria and not isolate themselves and put others at risk. Okay, but to go specifically to your points, um, tech, um, it's going to be a very tough period um, for technology businesses, especially those who are looking to raise funding currently. Um, I don't think any, any most companies abroad, nobody's looking at making long-term investment decisions right now until this phase passes. Those companies who need urgent funding to at least be alive for some time before they start generating re revenues or enough revenues might have to contend with very, very difficult times and might even have to, you know, um, lay off some workers until they get back on their feet. But also, we have some tech companies who will be in high demand now because now a lot of people have to re rely on digit digital financial services, for instance, and we have some work um, operating in that area, trying to buy things online as you do not want to go out, um, money transfers and everything. All these things will still be facilitated by tech. But um, again, coronavirus is, just, is not something that would persist for the long term. It's something that would, it's just a phase that will pass. And um, Nigerian technology sector is still in its in infancy. So um, also regarding you know most of the developments you mentioned in terms of productivity tools that we're using currently for remote work, I think a lot of technology companies will eventually scale up to be able to offer those services. But I know we are not big on productivity services right now in Nigeria. We all use Microsoft and Google and you know all those multinationals. Um, in entertainment, too, I think also it's a big problem because for entertainment, there's a lot of, you know, um, having to 
go for tours and concerts and going to perform in, in I mean, there's a lot of performance involved to um, an audience and most of them can't do that now and a lot of them are out of jobs. So all, um, you know, people who would naturally support the shooting of music videos or shooting the Nollywood films and everything, everybody's on break and that is a problem. But again, entertainment is raining because people are staying at home and they'll be and watching, watching Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> and of course, um, you know, people are demanding to be entertained. And that is why uh, on Instagram, we have all kinds of shows going on concerts, DJs playing, you know, music for people. So uh, it's a very big setback for that industry. But of course, I'm still a long-term believer in the fact that tech and entertainment, you know, focusing on tech and entertainment will do Nigeria a lot of good. COVID-19 will pass now and, you know, uh, people will return back to their jobs. Whiskey will have to perform again, you know. And um, I just fear for the tech sectors because they depend a lot on external funding. So that is really where I'm very, very concerned about. Thank you very much, Anidari, for our thoughts. Thanks for having me, Toby.